This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, and I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 14th. This is episode 1818. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Karen's back, second Tuesday of every month for the last, what, 25 years we've been doing this, it seems like. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Ever since she started riding. She was a baby then, and uh, but liked to talk, apparently, so she's still here. Jennifer's here, too, (laughs) producing the show, so uh, we're glad to have you here. You really have been doing this show for a long time. It's been years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. You know, it's funny because we just had our seventh year birthday. And, I know. And I think Happy birthday. Well, thank you. And I think you've been you've been here for four. Four or five. Four or five going, even. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for time thank you for sticking lies. around that long. I know you get paid a lot. So um <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I know this is your main source of income, so we really appreciate your dedication. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody in podcasting gets paid a lot. <clears throat> That's the problem. I know. I know. <laughs> we do it for fun. That's right. But, you know, uh, we wanted to remind everybody, too, that coming up in less than two weeks now is Radiothon, 12 hours live on Monday the 27th. Go to HolidayRadiothon.com to see how you can enter to win one of the over $4,000 and prizes we'll be giving away that day. And uh, they're, they're just click on the enter to win button and I'll explain it. You can either send us a voicemail ahead of time. Uh, you can get clever or answer our or, or address our, our question of the year, uh, which is your best equine Christmas gift, past, present, or future. And we've been. And I know somebody that came up with that idea. Yes, yes, <laughs> it was me. Yes, it was. And we, we, we uh, Karen came up with that idea, and then we put it out to, for a vote, and and uh, that's the one that won. Wow! So, oh, cool. so thank you and congratulations for for. Uh, now you have to send yours in, you know. What was that? Sorry, it cut off. You have to send yours in, you know. You came up with the idea. I know. i got to come up with something. <laughs> you do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You do. Either that or sing a song for us. That could be fun, too. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, what's coming up on today's show? As, oh, by the way, that's HolidayRadiothon.com. There we go. Coming up on today's endurance episode, following Karen's Trail Etiquette PSA, we are going to chat with Andrew Gerard, and he's going to be bringing us up to speed on all of the goings-on at the AERC. 
And then we're going to speak with Gary Pegg. And he recently finished riding the Pacifica Crest Trail. That's the one that goes up the west coast of the United States. <laughs> Apparently had some really crazy adventures there. And last but not least, happy National Spicy Guacamole Day, day everybody. Celebra- celebrate with Wild Abandon. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jennifer. Everybody's going to be hitting Mexican restaurants today, I think. <laughs> so now you've had some adventures since we spoke last, and something that happened to you doesn't happen very often. That's right. I went to an endurance ride, and I ended up, I pulled Chief at around 35 miles, I believe it was, um, because he was ADR, which is ain't doing right. <laughs> He, I, I didn't hear that before. <laughs> uh, so now, how many times have you pulled Chief in the past? Um, Not many. I think this was like his fourth pull out of, I don't know, 300 and some rides. Yeah, he has how many miles on him? Like millions. So, yeah. Over 15,000 in yeah. 16 years. And yeah. it had been several years and several thousand miles since he had been pulled for, you know, any reason at all. And uh, Now, did you have any indication it, before you went in that there was something going on? No, you know, well, we made it through the first, actually, he passed the vet check. We made it through the first vet check, went out for the second loop, <clears throat> came in and vetted through, um, you know, and we were going to go out and do the last loop, which was another, I don't know if it was 12 or 14 miles or something like that left to go. And I was riding with my junior who's 10 and she's riding my other horse, Bo. And um, Chief just didn't, he didn't seem quite his normal self. He didn't really want to eat. Um, so I had uh, my junior's grandmother go and tell them that I was going to that I decided to pull. I didn't want to go back out. And so the vet said, well, we want to recheck her horse, you know, even though he had already passed the vet check. So I brought him back up there and he had like a 40 pulse and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. You know, it was like, you can go, you know, you can, you know, if you want to wait a little longer and, and, you know, and then head out, you can. And, uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I went back to the trailer and, um, you know, and I had plenty of time. I had at least three or four more hours to go back out and do this last loop. But he just, for Chief to not be diving into food is not normal. Right. For any guy <laughs> not, not to all. be diving into food is not normal. Exactly. <laughs> and so I just didn't, you know, it was sort of like, you know, it's not really worth the risk. I know it, it sort of sucks to get this far and not get to finish, but... um it's better to 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 err on the the side of being cautious and careful and and um you, you know and it it really wasn't that hard of a decision to put my horse first because i know you know he's earned it i i got it you know do yeah, the 15,000 miles worth <laughs> yeah no kidding and 16 years of of rides and this you is only the just, second did you ever determine anything no, and in fact, as it turned out, like I ended up, I found another sponsor, which was awesome. She took um, my junior with Bo, and they ended up. Oh, that's right, because the way it works is your junior can't go out without you. That's right. So not only do you pull, she She's would have had to pull. Ten years old, yes, yeah. and so we I didn't think luckily, about that. 
we weren't dead last and way far away from anybody. And so she ended up going out with this other writer that was great who took her and they finished like middle of the pack, which was great. And of course, Bo did awesome. And, um, and that's great because he's only a few rides away from getting to 10,000 miles himself. So, uh, so you said he was ADR when he was actually NFI, (laughs) not feeling it. Just wasn't feeling that, it that day. That's right. You know, that's we. You know, and you got to give him credit. I mean, out of his whole entire career, this was really the only second time that he's ever had a bad day that he wasn't, you know, feeling good. And and he's had a lot of really good days. And he's been so, fine since. And he's been fine since. In fact, like a week or two later, we went to the Nevada Day Parade, which is the largest parade in the state of Nevada. It celebrates the the Nevada becoming part of the U- Union in the 36th state, which, I mean, how can you fault a state that their holiday is October 31st? Right. <laughs> it's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we went, we went to the... the <laughs> kind of appropriate Nevada for Nevada, Day. actually. <laughs> right. And, and no, he did awesome. We, yeah, he did great. And we've ridden him a couple times since then, too. And, and, now, um, you do go and, in, in costume, in Arabian costumes? We do. The full Arabian costume with all the glitter and the... Uh, yes, it's just... And the, you know, the pictures don't do it justice. The costumes are gorgeous. They're just beautiful beautiful in person well now and that parade if i remember right has some some obstacles that a lot of horses wouldn't uh, take kindly to like military jets and and things like that right they start the parade with a flyover from the military jets and then of course we also have the uh, hot air balloons which take off and fly right over the horses while we're getting them dressed and ready and um you know so they're right there you can actually hear you know, you can hear them when they turn the whatever the propane on. Uh, to, like kicking the to, afterburners. Yeah. Yes, to heat the balloons so that they r- rise up. Um, you know, and then of course you've got all the people, and you've got the musket shooters from Virginia City firing, and you know it's just like with any per- big parade. You, you you know you've got the bands and. There's just so much going on, um, you, you know, and it's so funny, like with Chief, he handles the parades beautifully, but he, you put him out on a trail and he sees a rock he hasn't seen before. And oh, my God, <laughs> you know, after all these years, he's still just a spook monster at times. He's still, you know, it's like I say, Chief, act half your age, would you? <laughs> well, we talked about this when you guys went in the Rose Bowl parade. When there's all of that sensory overload, then nothing pretty much stands out. Pretty much, yeah. yes. And whereas you're yes. out in the trail, and then the rock jumps out in front of him, and you know that it's terrifying. Right. And they're feeling good, and the adrenaline's flowing, and they're getting to do what they love to do, which is you know go down the trail. So yeah, they they have their little moments with with silly things that either bother them or don't bother. You know, just sometimes you expect something's going to bother your horse, and it doesn't. Like the flock and of then, geese that fly out right in front of his face. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Or just, you know, like he doesn't like, um, the thing Chief really hates is when he has to cross a highway or a paved road, and there's freshly painted paint on it. Yeah, because that that, that eats horses, I heard. It, it does. Yeah, I oh heard my that. God. 
It wants to swallow them up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and of course, there's no way around it. Now, this is so, the guy. This is the guy that has been riding on the sides of cliffs that drop ten thousand feet. Yes. One wrong step, and you're all dead. But nope, the line on the road is terrifying. Exactly. <laughs> Funny. Well, um, before we get to your endurance tip, I wanted to say how excited I am to talk to talk to your guest later on, Gary Pegg, who did the Pacific Crest Trail this year, because uh, we followed we followed Dixie, who did the Pacific Crest Trail. And she hiked it, and she did a series of amazing videos. She even carried a drone, so she gave drone shots. Um, oh, and she did the wow. whole thing, including through the Sierras and all the snow and everything this year, did the whole thing. And uh, so we have a good idea of what the Pacific Crest Trail is, and it is not for the faint of heart. So it for, sure isn't. For I did an endurance ride <laughs> where we rode on part of it this summer, and I mean, it's, yes, there's there's some, you know, and of course we weren't even in the the narrow stuff that some of these people have gone through, but there's a lot of trippy rocks and stuff. And when I say trippy rocks, I mean, they're sticking up. Well, like, like boulder inches, fields, three inches, I mean, six inches. Just, yes. And they have the trail goes right through. <laughs> so. uh, it, well, that is the trail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way around it. <laughs> so he's, he's got some stories to tell. I was reading his blog today and I can't wait to talk to him. What a, what an adventure he had. So, uh-huh. So we'll talk to him a little bit later in the show. But first, we have to do our endurance tip. And what are we talking about this month? Well, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about just basic etiquette with riding. And this applies to not just endurance riders, but basic trail riding. Um, Just to be, you know, aware of, you know, overall, basically, the ultimate um, idea is that you need to be considerate of others and treat them how you would like to be treated so you know have some manners you know basically when you go out on your horse you you want to be able to you know feel that you're going to be safe and that if you're in a group that somebody's not going to do something dumb and cause you know them or you to end up in a wreck so so basically you know when you go out on a trail ride it it's just good common sense if uh, if you're in a group that somebody has a working cell phone, um, you, you know, somebody you want somebody to have a basic first aid kit, a trail map. Now, when you guys, <clears throat> when you guys, we talk about this all the time, but I'd be interested to know what in, most endurance riders do. Do you carry the cell phones on yourself? I do. Yeah, I do. Do some of them Except put it for on the, the one horse? time I lost one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I went back three weeks later and found it on the trail. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was crazy. But it, um, uh, but yeah, but you carry them on yourself. Is that everybody does yes, that? Yes, I mean, you I should. Just can't, I just, I just can't get through to chief how to speed dial home. Yeah, that's right. Know, but I, just, I, I, I'm always shocked at the number of especially trail riders that put the phones on the saddle. Oh, like, do they really? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's important to carry. Um, Carry the phone on yourself. I like to ride in sun shirts, which are, you know, long sleeve SPF shirts. And then they generally always have a pocket. The problem with with that is a lot of them don't always have pockets big enough for the newer smartphones. And so there's always a dilemma of, you know, how do you carry it? You know, Um, so like a small fanny pack works really good. Um, An armband, you know, there's a lot of different ways to carry it. But uh, it is a good idea to carry the phone on yourself because, yeah, if your 
horse takes off with your phone. Um, and the other thing, one other tip that's kind of important um, if you are riding with the cell phone is a lot of us um, will turn our um, – put our phones into like airplane mode or – whatever so that we keep the battery if we know we're going to be riding all day well the problem with that is if something does happen like say you lose the phone or you have the phone on your horse and your horse takes off without you then there's no way to track it Mm. so you know it's kind of a catch-22 with what's the the best way to do this because if you know, and then of course, if you're where there's no cell service anyway, it's not going to matter. Right, right. But <laughs> yes, <a> good right. Point. <laughs> like, yeah, like where I lost my phone on this one endurance ride a couple years ago, um, it slipped out of my pocket and it slowly slid down underneath my jacket and fell out right on the middle of the trail. And it, of course, it fell out right where there was in, in the one area where there was no cell service because we tried calling it. We tried tracking it because I had the tracking apps and all that kind of the find, you know, find my Android thing on there. And of course, none of that worked because it was right where there was no cell service. That was, you know, out of the whole 50 miles of trail, that was like the one mile section <laughs> where there was no <laughs> service. So, so yeah, it's a a catch 22, but, um, you do want to, you know, have your GPS and and that kind of stuff on and enabled so that if you do need it for some reason, it's, it's on. And then, um, as far as riding in a group with others, um, you want to ride, you know, if, if you're going out on a group ride at the level and speed of the least experienced rider. So um, that's something that I've learned a lot from sponsoring the junior riders uh, to learn to how to read and pay attention to the junior rider's horse and how they're doing, um, you know, so that you're not um, pushing somebody to go too fast or too far or more you know, beyond their comfort level or their abilities. And, and so, uh, you know, that's something that takes a little bit of, um, you know, being just aware that you don't want to override, um, the least experienced rider or horse in your group that you're with. Um, you want to be able to give, uh, plenty of space between one horse and another horse. Nobody should crowd another horse because that's when... I bet you that uh, happens all the time, though, in these rides, doesn't it? it yes. It, and it's really easy to happen because you're, you know, slowing down and speeding up, you know, for the terrain changes and stuff like that. Um, you know, so most endurance horses learn how to deal with that. But, it, you know, there are always people, just like on the freeway, there's always tailgaters. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, people go, yes, or they want to use your horse for their brakes. Yeah. And, you know, so you're doing the work for them. That's not okay. You can't, you, yeah, you can't do that. And, and so uh, you got to be you know, aware of how your actions are going to affect somebody else. And you're not um, going fast enough to, what's that called when the bicyclists get in behind each other and the airflow and all of that? Truckers do that too. Drafting. Drafting. Yeah, you're not going fast enough that drafting's an issue. Well, with hopefully horses. you're not going oh, fast Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, but people do that. I've had people draft off of me, and then when we get within 20 feet of the finish line, 
you know, pull around and zip ahead and and pass and end up finishing in front of me after they sucked off of me for I don't know how many miles and you know and usually you know I don't usually care but it's the principle of the thing so you know that's another etiquette no no you know that that I've seen many people do over the years and uh you know if you're gonna you know draft off of somebody or use them because they know the trail and you don't and so you're you know riding with them because you know some people are more prone to getting lost if they don't know the trail you know it, the polite thing is to let them finish ahead of you just you know it's just a ride people it's there not a big deal <laughs> so you know another trail etiquette thing that's nice is to call out obstacles when you're going if there's a hole or a branch you know you say you know hole and you point so they know what side it's on or if there's a branch you say duck or um you know there there's a hiker ahead whatever you need to do but let whoever's behind you know that there's something coming up that they need to be aware of or, or pay attention um also when you're in a group um keep control of your dog or find out ask the others ahead of time if it's okay if you're going to bring your dog not every horse is dog friendly um not every dog is horse friendly right <laughs> so right um when you're going to pass you probably have more trouble with that when you're on rides that also come in close contact with people who are walking their dogs Exactly. A yeah. lot of people, they've had dogs that have never seen a horse before. And some are um, a little timid or afraid and what, and, and then others are very aggressive. Um, I, I find the best way to disarm a dog is to talk to it, tell it it's a good dog, you know, like, hi, buddy, you're, you know, you're you're a good dog, you know, you're doing your job, you're barking at the horses, you know, and, and that disarms them more than anything. Um, being friendly. Now that doesn't work if they're already attached yeah. to your leg or the horse. No, it doesn't. Down. And, well, and yeah. Bo has sent one small dog flying through the air that, that went after and tried to Deserved ankle it, biter. Right? It was an ankle biter. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I look back, of course, actually Bo fell on his <coughs> knees. <coughs> But he sent this poor little dog, and I looked back, and it's flying through the air like a football. <laughs> you know what? That um, little dog didn't learn either. It went after the next horse it saw. It probably <laughs> did, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, oops. oops. <laughs> Silly dogs. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the best way is to just talk to them, and that kind of can help disarm them a little bit. But you're right. Yeah, once if they're attacking, then um, there really isn't much you can do except maybe try to spin your horse around and uh, uh, keep it from, you know, lunging up and biting, you know. Um, but, but, yeah, some people don't realize that, or they don't even know because they haven't encountered a horse before, so they don't really know how their dog is going to react and um but when you're going out on a on a ride in a group i know some people always want to bring their dogs um some don't realize that that they really don't have control over their dogs um whereas you know a lot of dogs that go out on rides regularly with horses are going to be fine you know they're gonna they keep their distance and everything's fine um 
So uh, just check with others, you know, before you go out in a group to make sure it's okay with with them if you're going to bring a dog. Um, When you're going to pass others, um, always announce, say, passing on your left, passing on your right, whatever. Um, I try to slow down a little bit, take it down a notch so that, you know, when you do pass, you're not going, especially on an endurance ride, if it's early in the ride, a lot of the horses can be still pretty hot and it doesn't take much to set them off. So you want to be, you know, as considerate as you can about passing. Jennifer and Um, I go out a lot, the two of us, and I take the carriage and she takes, you know, rides. And if we're going out to public trails, we have to be careful too, because we always have to announce ahead that we have a carriage. Because some horses just haven't ever seen it or, you know, usually once they see a carriage, they want to just tuck in behind it. You know, it becomes their friend. But uh, but we always have to be careful of that, too. And you know what? What I've had that scares other people's horses the most is the visors on my helmet. Oh, the big wide one you wear? Yeah. For some reason, that'll I've freaked out a couple of horses on public you look trail like an attack there. bird or something and i don't know <laughs> yes they i don't know they just they've never seen it before and it just freaks them out yep. you know and so <laughs> you know there's been a couple of instances where i've had to stop just stop and wait for somebody's horse to settle down because that totally can it, you know it's just amazing with horses you just don't know what's gonna freak them out and so you've got to be you know aware of that and um, you know, just try to be as safe as possible, be polite and considerate. And like I said before, treat other people how you would like to be treated. I mean, what if you were the one on the horse that's wigging out? You know, what would right. you want that person to do? Right. <laughs> and, and so that's basically the the kind of thing that the, the whole etiquette concept covers is to, you know, treat other people how you would like to be treated. And, and, I think one of the biggest things with um, endurance riders, especially, is if you're somewhere drinking, you want to, you know, and you're riding with a couple other people, you need to be considerate of that so that when, once your, if your horse gets there first and drinks, you don't just keep going. You stop and you wait for your friends. Oh, so their horses actually drink and don't think that we have to get the heck out of here? Exactly. And, and so, you know, that, and that's kind of one of those gray areas where, well, what if six other horses come up right, on you? Right, exactly. You know, and yeah, so you a half an hour process. For, yeah. Yes, you can't wait for everybody. But if it's, you know, just a couple of other people, you know, the polite thing is to either wait or at the very least ask, is it okay if I go? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, and, and the way I treat it with my horses is, um, my horses need to learn to drink and and take care of themselves and not be dependent, you know, mentally on what other horses are doing around them. Um, and and so, uh, you know, some people might say, yeah, go, because I want to use this as training so that my horse learns that he has to stay here and drink even if other horses are leaving. You know, so, you know, there's two sides of that coin depending on, you know, and that's why it's a good idea to ask do you want me to stay do you want me to go um you know but always just be aware of um again how your actions are are affecting another person or their horse out on the trail and uh same thing goes for opening and closing gates the polite thing 
is if somebody is ahead of you and they open a gate and then they have to close it after you've ridden through and you didn't have to get off, you know, to do it yourself, that you wait for that person to remount their horse. Unless, of course, the same thing where they say, it's okay, go ahead. And and some people would prefer that because they want you to go so that when they get on, uh, like if they've held a gate for 10 or 15 riders, they're not now getting back on and now they're stuck in a group with, you know, this huge amount of horses. Right. They would rather that they continue on and then everything is spread back out again. And then, of course, the next person goes ahead. And then if there's another gate, then the next person gets it. Um, but but yeah, that uh, trail etiquette with with the gates and the water and stuff can be really important. Um, you know, the worst thing is I've had this happen to me where I've opened a gate for somebody and uh, and then I close the gate and I go to get on and they kept going. They didn't stop and wait for me. And now my horse is spinning around in circles mm-hmm. and you're trying to get on this moving obstacle <laughs> that's, you know, breathing fire and. <laughs> snorting and uh that's no fun so you know just um with the trail etiquette some of these little they they may seem like little things but to the other person it's a big thing (laughs) yes (laughs) well uh and you know one of the big things that we have to talk about every month is what's going on over at distance depot and we have Kristen here from distance depot this morning good morning Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. So we're talking about heart rate monitors today. Are this for people or horses? For horses. Okay, good. (laughs) Yes, for horses. Because I noticed that the American Medical Association yesterday lowered the high blood pressure, uh, lowered the standards for what high blood pressure is. And now uh, they, they said like half the population now has high blood pressure. I think that was just an excuse to sell more drugs. Myself. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So, so some of these heart rate monitor systems have been out on the market for um, you know thirty plus years. Um, our Vmax line of heart rate monitors, um, like I say, we've used them for years and years. They're older analog technology, so fairly simple. Basically, heart rate. Um, we have complete systems that you can ride with that will show you your horse's heart rate while you ride um, with two simple electrodes attached to the horse transmitting um, from a transmitter block that you keep at the front of your saddle up to the watch on your arm. So you aren't wired to the horse. You're free to get on and off, um, and the transmitter just um, sends a signal to the watch. So pretty cool. Um, we have one of those VMAX watches has um, time of day, a high-low alarm, so you can set your um, set it to beep at you if you're climbing hills, you know, at a certain number um, where it will beep at you so you're not having to stare at the watch constantly, and it will alert you if your horse gets into um, working in anaerobic um, exercise. So you can set it, um, again, at a low mark, too. So say if you want to set it at 64, if the criteria is around there, it will beep at you for that as well. So kind of neat um, but so many of the riders today, and I think Karen rides um, or used to ride with a, a Garmin unit of some sort. Right. Uh, uh-huh. That, that you know, 
most of these units that are out there have elevation, they have time of day, they tell you how fast you're going, how far you've traveled. And the Garmin units, of course, are running off of satellite signals. So typically they have, depending on where you're located, they have pretty accurate um, readings because they're running off of so many satellites. Garmin is world-renowned, of course, for their um, GPS. So, right. um, you know, they're yeah. very accurate. Combining the heart rate monitor with the GPS can teach you, I mean, it's just invaluable what you can learn from that. It's just uh, great technology to be able to have that. And, uh, you know, it's it's just awesome stuff that, um, you know, so for you writers that are listening, Christmas is coming up and this would be a, an incredible gift. So, yeah, go to go check out the Distance Depot yeah, heart rate monitors. Um, we have an adapter kit, so if you happen to have a Garmin already that has a human chest belt, because, of course, Garmin makes these units for runners, um, but we have an adapter kit, which is a series of wires, essentially, that will adapt the human heart rate monitor to pick up your horse's heart rate. So um, we even have a brand new, we have a wrist-based heart rate. So many people are wearing the um, exercise trackers on their wrist. Um, so we have one that's a wrist-based heart rate that you can use on yourself, and then you can um, ad- um, change it over or convert it over to pick up the heart rate belt. Um, so instead of reading your wrist, it will read your horse's heart rate. So sort of dual use and pretty darn handy. It doesn't have the length, um, so it has about a 13-hour battery life, um, whereas the a unit like the Garmin 910 would have a 20-hour battery life. So depending on you know, your distances that you're riding, um, you know, there's units out there for all riders. So you can get about 80 miles of the 100, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> After some. that, you're on your own. <laughs> it's like... Dead. Exactly, depending on, yeah, how mountainous and so on. <laughs> right, yes, you have to recharge during your hour holds <laughs> on the 100. Do they allow you to do that? Is that they have plug-in oh, sure. spots, yeah? Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh-huh. You know, you know, and you know, on a ride like Tavis, that's point to point. You just have to send a little portable battery pack mm. out to recharge. Yeah, cool. Right, and that works. So, okay, so Kristen, if somebody good Christmas gift and, idea coming up. Yes, yes and and, it, and don't forget, we're going to have some great Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday deals. So. Um, and Kristen, thank you. Email. Kristen is participating <laughs> again in Radiothon on Cyber Monday. Yeah, we're excited. So uh, it's good to have you guys on board. Now, I haven't gotten your entry with your song or your poem you wrote or anything yet, so I'll be looking for that. <laughs> right, I know. We need to get busy. I'm yes. Sure. You guys always send one, out. too. So chop, chop. Coming up fast. I know. <laughs> okay, so Kristen, real quick here, what what's your website address and your phone number? We are www.thedistancedepot.com, and you can reach us toll-free, 866 866- Eight six three two three four nine. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank Bye-bye. you, Kristen. All right, <clears throat> we okay. have your next guest ready right away. We we have Andrew Gerhard, who's an endurance rider. He is in the West Region. He's an AERC board member who is currently running in the new. Um, we have a new. Um, uh, what am I? 
election. Thank you, Glenn. All right, I'll help you out. It's early there. <laughs> yeah, help me out because I'm only on my second cup of coffee or, well, probably third cup of coffee. I need four. Um, anyways, uh, welcome. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing today? Good morning, Glenn and Karen. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Have you had Thanks. four cups of coffee yet? Are you with us, Andrew? I'm just starting out, so bear uh, with me. Okay, because you're in the West too, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes, aren't you? Yeah, I'm aren't down you? by Auburn. I'm down by, by Auburn, the ERC office. That's what I thought. It, and uh, well, thank you for getting cool. up early. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks it's just like doing me. an endurance ride, right? <laughs> That's right. Right. The earlier, the better, because then you finish earlier too. It, well, exactly. Yep, it's always nice to get done. <laughs> and yeah. and so I have my little brochure here in front of me with all the candidates and stuff for the West Re- Region Director. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about how the the election for the Board of Directors is, um, you know, set up and how AERC runs. Well, and let's remind everybody, I don't know if we did, a- American Endurance Ride Conference is what AERC stands for. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, there's the regional directors and there's the um, the directors at large. And every once in a while, some of the regions come up for voting, which the West region, um, we lost one of our board members uh, in this process. So we're going to replace the, the West region directors and hopefully I get reelected. And um, so you throw in your hat, uh, you throw in your, your $5 and put your name in there and write a mission or a, a statement for everybody to scrutinize and laugh about. So <laughs> hopefully, um, as you elect members, they um, start to represent your region and they represent the organization as a whole. Um, you have to keep in mind that a regional director is just like any other board member. They have to keep the financials of the the organization as a priority and the mission statement, you know, you want to just, if you go back to the endurance news, the first thing in there is the mission statement of the organization and kind of live by that as you're a board member. So the election, um, I don't know when it closes, but if everybody gets a chance to vote, you know, that's an important process because then you know who to blame. <laughs> you want to make sure that everybody's opinion weighs in and, um, it is somewhat of a popularity contest, unfortunately, because I don't know, how right. do you vote for people that you don't really see that often? Um, you don't see their skills and talents and efforts, but um, it is nice to get some consistency. Uh, and that's why sometimes voting for an incumbent can come in handy. Unless you see a need for change, then, I mean, it's great to be on top of the issues and see how a director feels about those and so you should approach them at rides and say well what is your opinion of this and what do you hear about x issue what can we do about that if you don't like what the response is maybe throw in you know your name to the ballots right and what are the causes you're most passionate about Uh, i really appreciate trails i worked with a year or with a western states trails foundation that sponsors the tevis cup um, on the trails committee for a long time. I like getting out there and doing work on trails and I think that they're vital to the sport, obviously. So that's one of my main things. And then I really think that our youth is going to be imperative to the sport. You know, we're an aging, obviously aging mm-hmm. group of riders. 
So if we don't get the youth involved, we're going to have a weaker organization as we go forward. So we need to bring them up and show them the way that we want things done, um, get their values established early on and help them be successful. Those are my main two things. But um, We all have a passion. And if you go through the committees, that's what board members get spread out amongst. And so I'm on the education committee. And then um, there's the trails committee. Um, I always make sure that when I renew my membership, I put a little bit in for trails as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, trails are definitely a big, a big issue, keeping the trails open so that we can keep our sport alive, you know, um, oh, all right, I'll play. Uh, I'll play the guy who asked questions, the moderator at a debate. Okay. All right. So, what do you? Is the youth the thing that you think is the biggest challenge going forward for the American Endurance Ride Conference? The AUC? Probably not the largest or the most prominent issue going forward. Financial stability seems to be a big issue. So um, we on the board have been discussing a legacy program, um, a legacy organization for AERC, and that will help sustain the financial stability. So in your will, we would ask that you maybe name AERC as a, a recipient of your fine china, and uh, we can auction that off now. So that, that organization... <laughs> we can use it at the vet like, The Western States Trails Foundation has a sponsor also or a a co-organization that we use for financial stability. And um, these organizations, you know, if you sued AERC, you wouldn't be suing that organization. (laughs) Something catastrophic, that major event came. We have a supporting organization to help rebuild it protect it you know most of these associations uh in the horse world and out endowments are a big part of how they survive and Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases Mm -hmm. if they have large endowments they're surviving they're using the interest off the endowment to survive so i i do think that's vitally important going forward yeah yeah well it's good to know that other organizations face the same challenge oh they and they all have endowments and that's that's how you know the Quarter Horse Association, all of those. That's how they, you know, the 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 dues that you guys pay cover barely cover usually barely cover operating expenses. I don't know about the ARC, but that's why they have those other programs is to help help uh, keep it on the right track mm-hmm. and actually put a little bit of money in the bank for the future. So, so Glenn, you're saying relate to the dance. <laughs> <laughs> So now, Andrew, what? Um, you're a rider too, right? So you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, my parents were in the um, the horse world for a long time. My dad worked down at by Big Bear at a ranch called Smoke Tree, and he took people for rides. Um, he uh, was always supportive of my mother's goals with uh, the sport. She was in the Rose Parade seven times. Oh wow! Wow. Not as, Prominently as Karen, but you know, she was in there um, <laughs> and she helped form organizations up here as well. She was um, one of the first members with the Gold Country Endurance Riders and the op- And so uh, she did the Tevis Cup ride when I was nursing. And that's kind of my legacy is, you know, we've always been involved in the sport. And so that's where I want to finish my life too. 
Wow. So you did the Tevis Cup as an infant? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> I might have cheated. I might have used a truck. Yeah. <laughs> but you were there. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> so what's your earliest memory of the Tevis? Uh, probably crewing for friends. Um, uh-huh. I, I really wasn't all that enthusiastic about endurance all from an early age, except for in the fact that I could go to rides and be like support. I could crew or I could help with a vet check and do stuff for the, the vet check manager, but not, um, I always thought playing in the creeks was fun. So I would just come and bounce <laughs> around and play in the creek and come back and help. That's my earliest experience. My earliest ride was um, Nevada Derby. Well, it was Derby Ditch back then. Okay. Yeah, that's been a while. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That was my first ride as an adult. It was chaotic, and I've refined my chaos now. So it's perfect chaos. It's refined chaos. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. That's for sure. (laughs) So, Andrew, I know you mentioned uh, when we were talking ahead of the show that there was a board meeting last night. So tell us what what new stuff is going on with the AERC. Are there any new rules being considered? I- anything like that that's interesting going on? Sure. Do you do multi-day rides? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So one proposition was that we add a point multiplier for multi-day riders somewhat like the hundreds get a point and a half right when you look at the points that are awarded for completions uh-huh. and um the board weighed in on that it wasn't a voting situation but it was an idea that we kicked around and we wanted to discuss whether or not this is something that we feel is a viable idea and so we kind of pushed back a little bit as a majority, I think, of the board members were concerned that it wasn't a level idea. Um, hundreds, you know, you get pulled. If you're pulled, then you get no point. Right. So as much as you get the point multiplier on an LD, or I'm sorry, on a multi-day ride, when you finish the first one, you get those points. Mm-hmm. So if you finish all three, that's great. But if you don't finish all three, you still get points. So, uh, right. you have to have stake in the game. And I understand. I yeah. That, um, yeah. We will see a revisitation of this in some other form as all good things do come about. You know, we want to keep these multi day rides going and they're not getting more popular. They're harder to go to. You find fewer participants, but it's a really cool program. So, right. We need to reward those people somehow. Right. Well, there's a lot of riders I know that um, over the years, they're very rarely able to complete all the days of, say, a five-day ride. It, it's, I, I believe I, I've run the stats in previous years, and to complete a five-day ride on the same horse has a much lower percentage of success um, than doing 100. You know, so it's not, it's not that easy to get through, you know, multiple day after day after day after day um, than some people think, that, especially if they've never done it. And, and that, that I, I, I can see where it would be difficult to um, convince the board 
to the board members that haven't done it because they're not going to understand, I think, the level of the, the challenge of, of doing that, doing the, the multiple days, um, you know, especially to do it, you know, repeatedly on the same horse, I think is kind of, to me, it, it I always felt it was a greater challenge than doing a hundred, even though a hundred is a great challenge. It's just, um, you know, of course I'm warped. So <laughs> my, my <laughs> perception is pretty warped. <laughs> if we do endurance, we have a warped perception. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so is there anything, anything else? Are there any other, um, are there any new rules for the next ride season going into effect? Well, if you look at AERC's um, Endurance News Magazine, on page three, there's a crewing rule, a proposed crewing rule, and okay. they want feedback. So they've extended the time period. They want to get that feedback before um, finishing up on how this rule's written. And rule 12.3, crew, crewing members must comply with all event rules and with the regulations and instructions issued by ride management failure to do so may result in sanctions to the individuals involved and, or the rider up to and including disqualification of the cruise rider. Okay. That's something that if we get people to give feedback, then we'll have a better idea of where we stand. And that's what a lot of the board meetings are is evaluating membership feedback. Um, There's currently Mm -hmm. 5,049 members um, 616 of those people are new. So if we don't hear from the membership, we're going by what we know, and that's not necessarily representative of the organization. I think right. it's good that we open these issues up before we make the rules. We open them up to opinion. Right. I just wish I could have a crew all the time. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a pacer? <laughs> <laughs> a pacer oh yeah <laughs> i kind of like being on my own but um he, yeah a crew i think a, a large majority of the riders at least in the west that i know we ride without crews so um maybe you're not going to get a lot of feedback be, just because of that reason you know on that i don't know if you'll find me riding without a crew ever I'm with you on the I would like my crew there all the time with a cold beer there you go (laughs) somebody's got to bring the cold beer you know that's that's the important part well Andrew thank you for joining us and good luck um, and uh, good luck in your quest to to uh, to stay on thank you very much Glenn all right thanks Andrew thanks Andrew all right and of course why don't you give out the uh, website for the AERC again it's aerc.org. That's very simple. aerc.org. Now, Karen, you can't do any of these rides you do without your boots. Not your boots, your horse's boots. Oh, that's boots. right. We're yeah. going to talk about our renegade hoof yep. boots. That's which, right. Which is great. And I just, actually, I just talked to them yesterday. Um, I, I know they're working on making some improvements to their to their boots. And... Uh, Gosh, you know, I've been using these boots for so many years and so many thousands of miles. Um, they're just, they're easy to use. Um, and and I can't stress enough, I've even got, you know, the 10-year-old kid that can put them on and take them off, which is awesome. And uh, they're, you know, 
They're just, they're easy to use. They provide, you know, the hoof protection whenever you, you know, you need it. Um, you know, you can use them on two feet, four feet, whatever the terrain dictates or your horse's, you know, hoof sensitivity. Uh, they come in several different colors so you can match your tack. They give you great traction, um, protection from the rocks. Uh, they're great for going over pavement. Um, you know, they're just uh, an, an excellent American-made, you know, engineered, made-in-America product. And to learn more, go to uh, renegadehoofboots.com. Very good. Well, thank you, Karen. We're going to take a break for a song. We're going to come back to talk uh, to Gary Pegg, who rode the Pacific Crest Trail this summer on his gated horses and had quite the adventure. A lot of things happened there. It's a long ride. It's like 2,000 miles uh, up, up California, up the West Coast, from Mexico to Canada. So we're going to talk to him about all the adventures he had along the way right after this from Templeton Thompson.
the longest chord ever at the end of that song. This is Templeton Thompson. Uh, of course, it's called The Long Run. That was off of her album, Icy Blue Heart. You can find all of Templeton Thompson's music at templetontompson.com. Horse Girl out of Tennessee. Well, now, we're while Jennifer's getting our next guest on there, I wanted to remind everybody we'll be back tomorrow. Jamie will be here for a regular Wednesday episode. And then uh, Thursday this week, we have, I'm trying to see who's on the schedule for Thursday this week. We have, I think it's Mary Kitzmiller this week. So we'll be looking forward to chatting with Mary and doing some uh, training stuff with her. So if you have any questions for Mary that you would like answered about horse training, just send them to Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. So, um, all right. So now, yeah, the, I'd like to know how to calm down a twenty-two-year-old endurance. I think horse. I think a twenty-two-year-old Arab uh, is good, pretty set in his ways. I don't know. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Darn it! I don't <laughs> think there's much one of these days. Calming, if he could just act half his age or but, a quarter of his age. You see, you see, you want him calm, but you also want him enthusiastic, right? So there's a, that tough line right there. There's that line right there. That's exactly. Tough. I, you know, I, I call him like the border collie of horses because of the way he jigs and bounces down the trail coming home <laughs> it's just oh well you oh know well. if if it wasn't like that i'd probably be worried that's right. Well, I wanted to also mention, just give a shout out to somebody that's been on the show. Everybody in the endurance world knows her, Rachel. She knows that she's listening today. We're giving you our best. She had an accident where I know. her fingers Poor took Rachel. a beating, um, literally. So, and, and Rachel, I'm sorry, but I have to block your pictures. Those are really gross. So, um, and I can't imagine living with it. So, but, you know, our best to you. We're thinking about you. I'm just glad she's tough. I know, you know, I've ridden with her for... Oh, I'm sure she's oh, riding oh. already. She's probably not but, supposed to be. But but, but she's tough. Yeah, so I know tough. she'll get through this. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be riding again in no time. Not an easy thing to go through an accident like that where, um, yeah, she lost part of a finger and... Um, Messed got, up a couple yeah. others. Yeah. yeah was, uh, but we're thinking about you, Rachel. Hugs from all of us here. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, tough people, well, there's Gary and his horses are tough. So Gary Pegg decided to go on an adventure this summer, and he picked probably one of the worst years ever to do it. And, <laughs> and that's because uh, there was a lot of snow this year on the Pacific Crest Trail and fires everywhere. So he did run into a few obstacles along the way, but we're going to talk to him about his big adventure. Hi, Gary. Hi, how are you today? Good, thanks for joining us. Now, before we get into your adventure, tell everybody a little about the Pacific Crest Trail who don't know what a mammoth undertaking is that you went through. Uh, Pacific Crest Trail is a trail that runs from Mexico to Canada, mostly along the spine of the Sierras and the Cascade Mountains in Washington and Oregon, uh, 2,658 miles we think the mileage changes because of little detours every year. Um, 
Yep, that's good. And when he <laughs> says the spine, he means that. Um, exactly. At the top of the spine with a like a two-foot path with drop-offs and rocks galore and all kinds of obstacles. We we watched this year, there was a girl named Dixie that hiked the trail this year, Pacific Crest Trail, and she did a beautiful video documentary of the whole thing. So I kind of have an idea of what you went through. And you did your blog, I was looking at that this morning. You really did have a lot of adventure on this. Tell us about the horses first that you took along and why these particular horses? Uh, I took two Timothy Walker mares. One Mercedes is 16 years old, was uh, sixth generation at my house. I've had her ancestors for quite a while. And the other one, BG, is a 12-year-old mare that I bought oh, a long time ago. And I took BG because she's tough. I took Mercedes because she's smooth. And uh, Mercedes has done quite a bit of endurance. I knew both these horses could could do the trail. And, uh, and they're Tennessee walkers? Yes, they are. Okay. Now, when you started out, you know, a lot of the hikers are obviously doing it unsupported, but most of the horse people I know that do it have support, and you did with your wife, right? Right. I don't believe it's possible to do the PCT anymore unsupported with horseback. Yeah. Uh, it's been great so much and so much traffic and so many people that there's just literally nothing out there for a horse to eat. Uh, there was another fellow that was doing it on Mustangs this year. He was getting his support every four or five days and his horses actually ran out of steam Mm. in Northern Washington. It just, you know, they don't get enough to eat and that's the secret is keep them fed. Mm -hmm. So were you meeting your wife every night with the trailer? Is that what you were doing? Most nights, uh, I think there were 11 nights total that I camped out, uh, where I took both horses, one packing and one riding, but other than that, I alternated horses and met my wife, Janice, every 25 miles or so. And you had a tough year this year and the Sierras are kind of in the middle there of California and everybody, I mean, hikers or horseback or whatever. It was a tough year this year because of the snowpack and the ice. And more importantly, all the rivers were, were huge this year with the, with the runoff. Uh, right. We didn't have much problem with the rivers because we didn't ride in the snow as much as we could. Uh, Initially, we planned to start at Mexico and ride to Canada, but because of the snowpack, we had to jump around to where the snow wasn't. Mm-hmm. We rode the first seven miles in Southern California, and then we came home for five weeks, you know, waiting for someplace for the snow to melt, mm-hmm. and went back to Northern California and started riding north. We made it almost to Crater Lake, and the snow got too deep, so we went back to we started where we started in Northern California and started riding south, and made it as far as Sierra City, and then snow in the Sierras. But by then, it melted off north of Crater Lake, so we went back to Crater Lake and rode to Canada. Uh, you did some hopping around to get this done, and that's why if you go yeah, to his, if you go to your blog, uh, at the end of every post, it gives the mileage, how much you did that day, and the time, and all that stuff. But it also gives the total miles for the PCT, and your ridden miles after that were always higher. And is that because you had to do so much backtracking? Some backtracking and some off trail to meet Janice. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's true. You know, she would have to park four or five miles off the trail. One time she was 16 miles Whoa. off the trail. But when it, 
got to be that far, we, we started camping out rather than spend the day riding out and the day riding back. Now, you, you, know, not getting you had some adventures along this trip. Um, <laughs> did, did I see that you lost one of your horses at one point? Yes, we did. Down there in Southern California, I was actually off the horse at the time, uh, and it was dry, you know, one of those little creeks, a quarter inch deep and six inches wide, uh-huh. and had taken off her head stall and stuff and was holding her with the lead rope that was tied to the saddle. I didn't take the lead rope off. I was just hanging on to that, and some motorcycles came racing around the corner, mm. spooked her, and off we ran. Mm-hmm. With all of my gear, I was there not really knowing where I was, GPS, cell phone, everything was on the horse. Uh, oh, and I no. started following which way, started following which way she went. And first thing, a 32 ounce water bottle had bounced off the snap had broken. So I had water then and walked a little further and half a package of sunflower seeds. So we weren't going to starve. <laughs> I looked up, you knew you were going the right direction. I <laughs> Yeah, but then I lost her tracks in the rocks. I just couldn't figure out where she went. And uh, I looked for a couple hours and decided, because we use those uh, in-reach GPS, you can text on them. Yeah. They work off of the saddle and Mm -hmm. uh, SOS spot things. And she had that in the saddle. So I opted to walk out and try to find Janice and, look on the computer and see where she was at, hmm. which I did. Unfortunately, it was only like a five-mile walk. And the first house I came to, the fellow dropped everything he was doing, uh, loaded me in his car, and went the nine miles down a rough dirt road to get to a little bit better rough gravel road. Anyway, he took me to Janice and then led us back up to his place. And the horse was actually only about a quarter of a mile, half a mile maybe at the most from where I was looking. But instead of staying in the valley where there's grass and feed and water, she ran straight up a very steep ridge oh, and walked out onto a point, walked out onto a point was surrounded by rim rock and couldn't go any further and stood there for three and a half hours until I rode back in with the other horse. And, and wow. And this is in the desert, yeah. right? You were still in the yeah. desert at that point, I think. Yeah, you know, and I always thought the desert of being kind of flat and sandy. And <laughs> down there in California, the desert's deep and rocky and high. And it, it's, yeah, a lot more ridge riding than I anticipated. But it was in the desert. Well, now I know the hike- I, would I know the hikers in the desert part. I want to get to some of your northern parts too, but the hikers in the desert part were always worried about water because the water sources, like you, you do the Appalachian Trail, and there's water every ten feet. But there, there wasn't. Did you have to pack all the water for your horse that day? How'd that work? Uh, no, most days, at some point in the trail, there would be water or accessible water, and the PCT Pacific Crest Trail Association. Uh, there's a water report on there and you can look and see where the water spots are and kind of playing the trip around that. Also a fellow, well, I don't know if it's a fellow, they call it half mile, uh, PCT trail. And he has a GPS track with waypoints every half mile. And he also has all the water sources marked on his maps. And I have those. So 
for the most part, I did not. Two days, I did back uh, about three gallons of water. You know, water gets heavy, and the horses are carrying yeah. a bunch. Yeah. yeah so you, but it was enough that I could give them a little taste of water, at least during the day, at some point. But uh, <laughs> And a couple of times where I was across the road, Janice would meet me there, and we would, you know, let the horse drink out of the buckets. And, I was going to continue on, but for the, for the horses, the water's not a big deal. I mean, you can go 25 miles without water if you pace yourself and, mm-hmm. and don't push them hard. I was going to ask you about trail angels. Uh, it's something that the hikers all talk about, trail angels, and those are people that help hikers along the way. And I was going to ask you if you had experiences with trail angels, and you did. I mean, this guy right here was a trail angel for you. Uh, and they're basically anybody along the way that leaves food or water or whatever to help out the hikers. Did you experience other trail angels along the way? Uh, you know, there's a couple well-known sites, Hiker Heaven, uh, Mike Carreras down in Southern California, where they actually provide room and board. You pull in and they make meals for you on a donation wow. basis. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a little hot spot, so hikers start looking forward to those. We stayed at one, Mike Carreras, and, uh, they have a big outdoor brick oven where they make pizza at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have, there's beer there that you can buy or reimburse them for. And there was probably 40 hikers there the night I stayed. Wow. What the hikers but think of you? What what they think of you and the horses? Because that's not something a lot of them have seen on other trails they've hiked. I mean, the through hikers, the really professional hikers. What did they think? You know, I was a little bit leery of that as we started and wanted to be a good neighbor because riding up here in Oregon, sometimes, you know, the hikers are are uh, pretty anti-horse. But down there and starting in Mexico, the first thing I heard from most people was, wow, you're the first horse I've seen on the trail. And to a fault until I got to Oregon, they were very receptive to the horse and had lots of questions and I spent an hour or two every day, you know, mm. talking to people and and answering their questions and trying to be a good neighbor and after a while, you know, the hikers all get to know each other and, and they travel about twenty five miles, twenty or twenty five miles a day too, the the serious hikers do. And so even though I was traveling a little bit further and a little bit faster, they did longer days. Mm. So I would see the same hike two, three, four, five days in a row. And Janice carried a cooler full of beer and soft drinks, uh, energy drinks on ice. Oh, and offered nice. that to them as they come to the road. And so she was the hero. I bet. She was the trail <laughs> angel. <laughs> she she, was... Yeah, she did a little trail angel. And, and we had our dog, Rose, and a lot of the hikers missed their dog. So Rose got a lot of stick playing done. How many times did you hear from a hiker, geez, I wish I had your horse right now, especially when you got up towards Oregon? Oh, I could have sold those horses a dozen times <laughs> for way more money than they were. What was the, I know this is hard to say, but uh, what were the highlights along the way? What are the, did, did it ever get old seeing the scenery and, you know, that kind of thing? Uh, not old. You know, Oregon is a people ride at the big green tunnel because you're in the trees all the time. Mm-hmm. And But it's easy riding and it's good footing. You know, it's probably the best horse conditions you're going to meet on the trail. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Southern California was dry, hot, and rocky. Well, all of California was rocky. Uh, the what they call the Big Bend, where the Pacific Crest Trail crosses I five near Dunsmuir, uh, just north of Lake Shasta or Shasta, Mount Shasta, and then travels west almost to the coast, and then loops back to the to I five near the Oregon California border. Was a surprise. I expected that just to be all treed in, you know, your your northwest forest big trees and there were lots of big trees but also some spectacular views the trinity alps and marble mountain wilderness are really really beautiful you know and they get no press Uh, the sierras were uh, the sierras i battled snow and cold so i don't have a lot of fond memories there (laughs) (laughs) and down trees didn't you have a lot of those uh, we did by the time I, cause the shares was the last part of the trail I did. By the time I got there, the trail maintenance had been through. So the trail was in excellent shape, okay. but, uh, we got blocked by trees in Southern California down by Lake Isabella. And again, just before crater Lake, uh, the first time through there, there were lots of trees down. It was a battle to get there when I finally gave up because of the snow and turned around and went back, I had to go through the trees again. And then that was about 15 miles of, of a lot of trees. Well, trees. Speaking of the snow, did so you do anything differently on your horse's feet for the snow? What, were they shod or what, did you use boots or what? Uh, no, they were shod. And uh, no, I didn't do anything for the snow because I tried so hard to avoid it. Yeah. Um, and where you were, it wasn't the snow so much that was a problem as it was old snow. And so it was slabs of ice mm. and when, you know, earlier in the year where it was crunchy snow and you get through, we just went over it. You know, the big hazard there was, uh, in the middle of the day, you would post hole punch through and then the horses would go up to their bellies and, and you can't travel very far like that. So. Uh. Uh, but later in the year, towards the end of the trip, when we ran into that old snow, it was now it's just a chunk of ice, and the horses had absolutely no traction on it at all. Did you think uh, about using studs at all? No, yeah. I didn't. Okay. Because well, the main reason I did is because I ride walkers, Tennessee walkers, mm. and they don't set the foot down like a regular yeah. horse does. Their back feet can kind of slide in. Yeah, and when you wear studs, and I've used uh, boots on when we did the Pony Express Trail with Karen some years ago. And the horses that I used there all had hawk problems when we got home. It took them months to be normal again. Uh, that makes sense. So I really, yeah, I avoid those studs and, and anything that grips like mm-hmm. that. They've got to be able to swim with your feet. So. What animals did you see? Now, I, I'm gonna, I want you to tell about what animals you saw and save the story for the last day, night in the corrals uh, for last. <laughs> uh, we saw geckos, lots of geckos. In fact, I call it gecko o'clock in the morning. There's a magic <laughs> hour where it gets warm enough where the geckos wake up and start running down the trail. You know, in the morning you get out and it's all clear and cold and there's nothing. And then gecko clock comes around and well, here come the geckos. <laughs> so we saw a bunch of those deer, of course, lots of deer. Uh, 
a couple of elk up north, and I saw a few bears. My wife never saw lots of bears. And her big bear story was she was traveling from one spot to another on one of those rough uh, access roads where you can only go about three miles an hour with a truck and trailer and the horse in the back. Yeah. And a bear came down off of the hill and literally ran into the side of the trailer and she didn't know what it was. Oh my God. It was in the brush. And, was <laughs> and just this crashing in the brush next to her. And she's kind of sitting up in the seat trying to see what it is because it's keeping pace with her and never does see what it is. And finally slows down and a bear crosses the road in front of her. But, Wow. <laughs> All right. Tell us about the last night you had finished. The, I had finished the trail. It was actually camped at the Canadian border. Uh, and it was one of those nights where there's half a dozen hikers out there, and I've got the horses, and horses are loud at night. I sleep through most everything, but I didn't want them to be disturbing all the other people. So I was unusually alert for them and in the middle of the night there was squealing and kicking and stomping going on and I thought maybe it was the two mirrors getting into it and so I got up and they were kind of quiet by then but I went ahead and tied them to the post in the crowd so they couldn't get at each other and then went back to bed and then in the morning when I got up and went to give them their morning feed my uh, feed nose bags were gone I couldn't find them anywhere and walking around and doing chores in the morning, getting ready to go. I finally came across them and they were a long ways from where I had left them the night before. And then as I walked around the other side of the corral, there was a large pile of bear scat laying there. So somewhere in the night, bears came down and got the horses going. And I was sleeping like five feet away and didn't see any bear, but it was obviously there. Wow. <laughs> or it was a very long draft. One of the two. I tell you, if I'm out there too, I'm going to be doing the same thing your horses did if a bear comes up and <laughs> steals my it. food. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gary, you survived yeah. getting through this whole Pacific Crest Trail. And then, not long after you got back home, you had a horse accident, right? I did, yes. So, give us a, a little overview of what happened there. Uh, Actually, we were going to go for a ride down at the beach, which is about an hour drive from where we live. And I was going to take a young horse because the two the two older mares, they, they're getting the rest of the year off. So I was taking a young horse who didn't have any experience. And as I think back, she may not have ever been in a trailer before. Anyway, she was resistant to loading. And we were doing our standing there with the five pounds of tension on the horse. And as she took a step, forward then we would back up and wait for her and we got to the point where she was putting her head inside the trailer and uh then something you know horses are strange about things she went back pulling back hard and and i think she may have slipped even on the asphalt of the driveway and went down and that sudden jerk on the rope broke the snap that was on her halter and the stretch tight rope caused it to whip back at me and it hit me in the face uh, and took my eye out, shattered my cheekbone and brow. And that's, that's that story. Yeah. 
Ouch. That and, and sounds I, painful. If you have horses long enough, you're going to get hurt. That's a guarantee. Is your eye okay? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't have any vision in it. It actually tore the uh, connective muscles, you know, that let you turn your eye shift, you know, that control your yeah. eye mm-hmm. and the optic nerve and lacerated the eyeball on the backside. Jeez, so, Gary. Uh, we went to the local emergency room. They loaded me into a hospital and took me down to OSHU, Oregon State Hospital University. And there they have a KCI Institute, which is a, a world-renowned eye place. And they, they operated on me for like five hours. And they got the muscle control back, but not the nerves. So it's kind of a wait scene. They said it would be a miracle if I see light or dark out of that eye again and Jeez, probably Gary. it will be end up replaced with a, a prosthetic uh-huh. man i'll tell you what you do uh, you you spend six months on the pacific crest trail on those ridges and exactly. some of the most dangerous country and then this happens and isn't it always true that most of the accidents happen when you're on the ground with the horse yeah and when you're being done yeah you know there were several things i could have done differently that i didn't um I'm sorry. You know, in that. retrospect, and, you know, a couple of them at the time, I thought, well, it'd make it easier if I did this instead. But we're on this course, and we stayed with it. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, you should listen to the little voices. You know, they're usually right, aren't they? The little voices. Yeah. They yeah. are. Yeah. But they're annoying sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we they don't. Are annoying. They don't. <laughs> They don't fit in my schedule. That's right. You know, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Those little voices. We yep. got people waiting. For us at, we got people waiting for us at the beach that we haven't seen all year because I was off on my trip. Well, I'm sorry Aww. to hear that, Gary. I really am. I hope. No, I hope I'm it not, works out. Oh yeah, it will. I mean, there's a lot worse things in life that could happen. Well, Gary, thank you for joining us. I want to encourage everybody, if you want to follow his adventure day by day, go to Gary Pregg, or Pegg, P-E-G-G dot com. Gary, P-E-G-G dot com. That's his blog where he posted a thousand million pictures. And it is, it is just go back to the first post and follow the adventures all the way through. It's probably the best way to see what what you went through all along the way. Uh, and uh, congratulations for, for doing that. You're one of very few. Oh, thank you. I just want to add that another way to get there is to Google PCT Horseback okay. 2017. And there's a couple of sites there that people have done horseback. PCT Horseback 2017? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Gary. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah, thanks, Bye. Gary. Good day. You bet. Bye-bye. Okay. You're a long-distance rider. Any way in hell you're doing that? You know, the, I would consider it possibly, but uh, yeah, it's uh, some of the pictures I've seen of some of that trail looks pretty gnarly. <laughs> pretty sketchy. The rocks. I mean, I yes. don't know how the horses got over those rocks. It's just a field of rocks. It's the just... rocks. And, and then there were, I know there were days where they were just spending hours going <clears throat> over the downed trees back and forth. You, you know, it's... Uh, and the thing we didn't really get to to ask Gary about was how do you assimilate back into normal life? Well, and after it, you know that's that. Well, he, and unfortunately, he assimilated by getting hurt, and probably had spent, had spent more time thinking about that. By what a exactly. what a freak accident that is too. 
Um, Like I was cringing the whole time. But, you know, it is true. That's a good question because all of the long-distance hikers, when you follow their their adventures, and I listened to a podcast uh, called Mighty Blue and the Appalachian Trail where he talks to all these, everyone that spends six months out there doing this, and that's what it takes, six months hiking day uh-huh. after day after day, when they get back, they're, they're totally out of sorts. They just, and and, sure. and the reason is, is because life is simple when you're out there. You put one foot in front of the other and you just hike. That's the only right. choice you have. You just hike. You eat, you hike, and you sleep. And then when mm-hmm. you get home, it's like all this stuff's come at you again, right? Um, and everything that you left behind, maybe the reason you did it in the first place, is uh-huh, still there when there. you get home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> exactly. And and with a horse, when you're on the road and you travel for months with a horse, I mean, you get to know that horse or those horses intimately. And... uh it's hard for the horses to come back and it would be good for the next episode to get Janice on and do a follow-up of what it was like from her side because she was living in that truck and trailer every day for six what six months you know she had I know she had some really you know interesting experiences and encounters as well let's try and get her on for the next one Okay, and, and we'll see yeah. from her point of view then what it was like from f- doing the crewing right, and, and right. trying to and find I first, him. And I first met Gary and Janice. We did the XP, the Pony Express Trail from Missouri, um, you know, all the way across in 2011. And at the finish of that ride, the two of them got married. Ah. Apparently yeah. got along well. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, sometimes those kind of trips result in divorces. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Not always marriages. That's so right. That was, uh, <laughs> so they basically met on another. a long-distance ride, and then they just, so it was easier on this one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if I'd call this one easier. I don't, I don't no, know. No, I meant for this, the re- at least they knew each other. They had yeah, done it before. The, yes, yeah. for the relationship-wise. Yeah. yeah, I don't right, think the ride right. was easier. but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this. This was a this Pacific Crest Trail. It's a tough ride. I mean, we have endurance rides that go over parts of it, you know, in different areas and sections, and just those those parts are are tough. Yeah, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a challenging ride, and for him to go over two thousand miles, you know, in a in a single year with his two uh, Tennessee Walkers is quite an accomplishment. Well, everybody, you can find Karen at? KarenChatton.com. Karen also has a blog there that you'll find about 10 years worth of stuff on. Take you forever to read it all. Uh, but there's lots of good information there. And there's a search function, too, if they want to search for something specific, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Because you've done lots of tips and tricks, and pretty lots. much everything you talk about on here is on your blog at some place. Uh-huh. Yep. Somewhere. Yep. Yes. Um, and there's lots of rides all over the country. You can check out the AERC online. You can check out the ride calendar for rides in your area at AERC.org. It's kind of the end of the year. Maybe for 2018, consider doing one. Consider giving it a try. Do one of the shorter rides and head on out there. Maybe volunteer once to see what it's like and then take your horse out. It might be a lot of fun no matter what breed you have. It doesn't have to be an Arab. Exactly. So so check that out. For links. Uh, volunteer. 
Yes. Yep. Volunteering Thanks, is pro- it's always the best fun, way to fun. check out a place. Um, for today's guests in the show notes, go to horseinthemorning.com. We'll put links to Gary's page and, and all the things we talked about today. And if you want to hear any of Karen's past episodes, go to horsesinthemorning.com. Scroll down the middle of the page. You'll see all the little logos of the special monthly episodes we have. And you're going to see uh, you're going to see one for endurance. Click on that and it brings up all the past episodes right in a row. So you can go right down and listen to any of them that you want to. We've had a lot of good ones over the years. You can follow uh, Horse Radio Network on Twitter. We don't talk about that too often, at Horse Radio. And, of course, we're on Facebook at Horses in the Morning. Uh, We, again, encourage you to check out uh, HolidayRadioThon.com. We have lots of guests that are being lined up right now. We want you to listen uh, live or to the recorded version after. On the 27th, we'll be going live from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., 12 hours live on the 27th. We have 20 hosts. uh, We're going to have about 30 guests. We'll have hundreds of callers, all kinds of songs and voicemails done by the listeners. We're giving away $4,000 in prizes that day. It is just a lot of fun. So if you can listen live, you can tune in on our app. Just search for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. There's a live feature there. You can listen any or part of the day. And then the next day, all the hours are broken up and put out so you can listen to them as we get into the holidays. A lot of people have said they're taking off work that day so that they can listen all day. So we appreciate that. You can call us that day, too, and be entered to win the prizes. So all of that's at HolidayRadioThon.com. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Glenn. All right, see you, everybody. As always.